There are a few things more Canadian than a game at Mosaic, Riders, Bombers. I mean, that's a heck of a Canada Day party. Welcome to The Waggle, alongside David Sanchez. I'm James Sabalski, back at you, and it's Canada Day weekend as we get set to celebrate 150 epic years in this awesome country, and I guess also an early happy 4th of July to all of our American listeners because, well... We're not going to have another show before the 4th of July. So, Chessie, it's celebrations for everybody this week on The Waggle. Yeah, it is. Happy happy Canada. Happy America. Happy, happy, happy people. Happy people. Exactly. Uh, lots of happy people and lots of sad people, I guess, after what we saw from week one in the Canadian Football League. We'll get into lots all of that. Lots of surprised people. Yeah, lots of surprise people. Uh, definitely. Uh, we also have a special guest dropping by this week on the Waggle. Who's coming? Who's coming to visit us this week on the Waggle? Who's the lucky guest? Oh, you know what? I sat down and talked with one Marcus Ball, who had him. Uh, he balled out. Uh, Marcus Ball from the Toronto Argonauts, uh, former Grey Cup champion, spent a couple of years in the National Football League, and just came back and joined the Argos a couple months ago and he was all over the field against the Tide Cats. He had seven tackles, three pass breakups. He was all over the place, but uh, it was good to talk with uh, Marcus Ball. He's a baller. He is. Is he is, now, we is he related him, to We asked him about that. Yes, he, yes, we actually asked him about about uh, the Ball family and whether or not he's participating in the big baller brand company, and we'll uh, we'll find out more about that later. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you this much: Lavar Ball never ceases to amaze. I saw he was on wrestling the other night. He was on Monday Night Raw the other night. Chesy taking off his shirt, ready to throw down. Lavar Ball will do anything when confronted with a microphone, it seems. so. Uh, okay, so Marcus Ball coming up uh, this week. Uh, lots to get to. We'll get to our CFL Week 2 pick'ems after we've seen a little... Uh, we, we, we've seen a body of work now from teams. Uh, some stuff we really liked, some stuff we didn't like at all, and some stuff disappointed us, some stuff, as Davis mentioned, really surprised us. So why don't we dive in and get right to it, Chez. And I think the real big story coming out of the weekend, uh, a little bit of a carryover from last year, dare I say, uh, with respect to officiating, and this specifically, instant replay. Uh, what can you say? I mean, a lot of people shaking their heads, a lot of people kicking TVs, a lot of people just going, what is going on here? But first, it was the season opener between Saski and Montreal late in the second quarter. And replays appeared to show Riders newcomer Bakari Grant going into the end zone, but it appears as though he was fumbling the football before he crossed the goal line on a touchdown catch. The play was ruled good on the field, but all the scoring plays are reviewed and video evidence seemed to indicate that the ball came out before the ball crossed the line. Then the second one comes uh, a day later in the Grey Cup rematch between the Stamps and the Red Blacks, and you have Kamar Jordan, who appears to fumble the ball in the fourth quarter with the Stamps down by seven. Ottawa challenges the play, but the call on the field stands, and the near 25,000 sellout fans 
at uh, Red Black fans just in disbelief because just a few plays later, what happens? Calgary goes and scores. When Jerome Messam scores on a three-yard touchdown, they tie things up at 28, and the game ultimately finishes in a tie. Now, here's where it gets interesting and where the plot really thickens here. Glenn Johnson, the CFL's vice president of a football um, and basically the guy who's in charge of officiating of the CFL, he talked to TSN's Farhan Lalji over the weekend. And the calls were deemed to not be egregious enough. Yes, egregious enough, which means they, they weren't shocking and appalling enough to overturn and... Basically saying that, uh, you know, the challenges of the coaches and the fans, uh, they weren't egregious enough. And you're going, wait a second, what are you talking about? So Farhan Lalji from TSN addressed this on a broadcast saying he had spoken to, to, to Johnson. And he basically shared the information from the conversation uh, during the TSN broadcast on Saturday between the Lions and the Eskimos. And here he said, here's... Here's what Farhan said, uh, quote, he said, the league's position is that the rules haven't changed, but, are you ready for this? The standard has. They want replay to be just about egregious calls that have been missed. They don't want that gray area. So if it takes two and a half to three minutes to make the call or make sure that the call gets right, well, then that means the call was too close to overturn. So Glenn Johnson goes on to say that those were not egregious calls in the minute, minute and a half that they want to make these calls or take the time that the decisions in an effort to speed up replay, not slow down the pace of the game. Those calls did not meet the standard for obvious, blatant, egregious mistakes, and they're just not going to overturn those types of calls. And that's going to be something people around the league are just going to have to simply get used to. Chazzy, here's my issue with the word egregious. I hate nitpicking calls. And this is where I kind of like where Glenn Johnson's coming from in one sense with You know, what I see in baseball where a guy takes his foot off the bag for a split second or is like a centimeter off the bag and then they tag and then they challenge the replay and you spend three minutes looking at this call and it's like, yeah, well, you know what? Instant replay, we blew it up and like his foot was off the bag. There was a grain of sand in between. Uh, You know, that those nitpicking calls drive me nuts uh, on these bang, bang plays Uh, You know, you see it from time to time in the NHL with offsides now. uh, And and you see it, I mean, over the course of history with with football. But here's the issue that I think Glenn Johnson and the CFL have kind of pooched themselves with. And they talk about trying to avoid the gray area. If the video evidence tells you one thing, you can't go against it because you look foolish. Do you know what I mean? Like... If you've opened up Pandora's box, James, it to goes to the it, conversation you look of silly beyond beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's the word egregious. If that's the word they wanted to use, then fine. But it's to me, to me, if the word if it would be this mean the same thing to beyond a reasonable doubt, then I support that. I don't think agree. I don't think the wording is right there. Egregious. Uh, that does that doesn't necessarily. I don't think uh, show exactly what 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 the rule or what we're trying to accomplish here. What the league is trying to accomplish. I think beyond a reasonable doubt makes makes sense because if if you can, and I, it goes with the past interference calls as well. And if you can, if it takes two or three minutes to see if it's a bang bang call, yeah. whether you know the guy got there a, a millisecond early or not, it shouldn't be 
it shouldn't be a replay and it shouldn't get overturned. If you see quite clearly that the guy was, you know, a yard offside or a foot out of bounds, mm-hmm. then I agree. Then yes, that and that's the whole point of of the new the new rule or the new way it's going to be executed is that if it's egregious or beyond a reasonable doubt, then okay, fine, boom. Quick, quick, fast, in a hurry. It's obvious to mistake the the referee made a mistake, and we don't want those mistakes to affect games. If there's a blade of grass between, you can't see it unless you have the camera set to, you know, whatever it may be to to get it close enough to see this. Then, then that's the that's a whole other story. And I think that's I think that's where Glenn and the league is trying to is coming from is from that standpoint of unless it's beyond a reasonable doubt, then we're not going to overturn. I understand that point. Is that not what you're getting from this? Well, and that's exactly, and and that's where I totally get where they're trying to get away from, and they're trying to get away from spending five minutes reviewing this. And I slows down the game, and it totally slows down the game, and it slows down the tempo and the pace and the vibe. Uh, It takes the players out of rhythm and momentum. It also takes the fans out of the game because you get tired and restless, wondering what's going on. I just, to me, when you go down that slope. And you leave yourself room for criticism in this because if someone's interpreting it one way and seeing it another where you can say, hey, look, there's video evidence. You know, Chris Edwards, one of the TSN uh, producers uh, in the broadcast truck, you know, I think he even was and, and Eddie, I think he was even you know, expressing his frustration because there's like, think of all the monitors that he's looking at firsthand in these high definition in these, in these multi-million dollar broadcast trucks. And they're seeing one thing and they're here in the league saying something different. And they're going, well, this is what we're giving you. And you're seeing like, how, how are you seeing it differently? I mean, I can, I can argue with my dad easily and take another side just to try to piss him off as he'll do to me over the years. I mean, that's what we do to our buddies. That's what we do with family, right? Uh, you just take the other side just to needle somebody. But in this case, when there's a body of evidence that tells you one thing, uh, to simply not overturn something, even though it might be the right call, that's why, to me but, is but where I'm missing. I'm missing where you're where you're getting this from. You're saying you're simply not overturn something, even though it's the right call. Well, where where is anybody where is anybody saying that if it's the right call, we're not going to overturn it? They're, I think from what I get from, and this is you're reading this, not me. Mm. I'm getting from it uh, egregious or beyond the reasonable doubt. So. You're, where are you getting the part where it's saying where somebody's saying, "Well, even though we know it's the right call, we're not going to overturn it." Where are you getting that from? Because that's what you that's what you're saying. Well, I'm missing I, that. I I think people took issue with some of the calls that went. I think Kamar Jordan's a perfect example where it appeared as though a lot of people seem to think that was a blatant fumble in the fourth quarter. The league obviously said it wasn't conclusive enough. So, well, blatant uh, that might have cost that might have cost Ottawa that might have cost Ottawa that might have cost Ottawa a win. Where are you from? Just curiously, where did you grow up? No, I'm just curious. Where did you grow up? I'm from Ottawa originally. Oh, wow. Interesting, Sabalski. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Uh-huh. Oh, a little bit of home cooking. Come on, Sabalski. No, I, I get what you're saying, but I also think that yeah, I, I don't think you're painting the full picture here. I, I think you're. I think you're. You're, you're saying, uh, you know, what some what some people may perceive to be. Okay, well, I think it was a fumble. Well, if it's obvious, no one, no one. Let's just be clear. Nobody is saying. If it's an obvious fumble, we're not turning it over because it's not egregious enough. I don't think anyone's saying that. And I didn't see – I was at the Montreal game looking at the monitors and seeing the same things everyone else saw. And that fumble, I went back and forth about three times 
fumble. No, it's not. Yes, it is. So, I mean, I can understand I how that's fumble. not. I, I, I thought okay, the Macari Grant was a fumble. And yeah. I think so, too. I, I thought so, too. But I also went back and forth a few times. So, in the letter of the law or how, uh, I guess what Glenn Johnson is now saying, how they want to execute this, if, if we're going back and forth and it's not obvious, then that's not something that's going to overturn if yeah. you can argue it the other way. So, I, I understand that point of it. If it gets to the point where it's obviously a blown call and they're they're saying it's not egregious enough then i have a i'm i'm on your team and i got a problem and, with and, it as and well and that's and that's and that's my and that's my biggest concern Chaz, because the wording and the intention i think that glenn johnson is speaking to i like i want to and i want to buy what he's selling i really do because I think to that point, the games need to be sped up. Uh, the five-minute replays, I think, to that point, it's too long. It's too long, and you, when, you, when you figure in the speed and the pace that when you're on the field and you're flying around, you don't have, you know what I mean? You've got to react and make a judgment call. You have to make a judgment call in the moment. So if you're going to sit there and spend five minutes reviewing a play, uh, you know, what's the point of having officials on the field then, right? But it's You, you know what else? But I do, ahead, I do James. concern my. But I just my only concern is when you leave yourself that okay we got with that we got, gray I, area with okay, that gray we have, area is where I, I will also I got you I'm with you and I think your point 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 is taken I understand it and it makes sense to me I I'm in agreement I don't like the the wording of it necessarily but I I think that the idea is right and I think yeah, that yeah, as as I'm this goes you. on it will, but then and I think as we move on with this I think it'll be this. This uh, new interpretation, I think, is something that was, is going to be a positive for the games moving forward. But what also needs to speed up, other than the other than the replays, is this show. So let's get on. There was a pretty crazy week of football that uh, we need to get into some things here. See it's balls. a podcast, man. We're not we're not committed to time. I've got nothing. I'm, but commi- time I'm here. committed to I'm committed to not I'm committed to not spending 77 minutes d- discussing how what Glenn what words Glenn Johnson used to describe a replay. <laughs> Well, that? you know what? I'll tell you what. That comment was egregious. All right, how about that? You know Chester? what was egregious was <laughs> egregious was egregious was not Darian having enough Durant. salsa at the last get together. That's egregious. <laughs> egregious is you at my at you when you come to my house raiding my raiding my snack drawer and leaving crumbs all over my couch and everywhere else every time you come to my house. How about that? But we'll not get into all that. That's stuff. definitely egregious. Exactly. <laughs> uh, leaving leaving me with all the dry ribs every time we go to Cactus Club. That's egregious, Chad. So at least we're fine. Finding a middle ground now, people. Uh, yes, you, you know what? You make the point, though. Look, hey, there was there was some great stuff over the weekend and and some positives. And I think Man. nothing more nothing more dynamic, I think, uh, than the performance of the ageless wonder Ricky Ray and the Trestman era in Toronto. Uh, man, oh man, it's one game, but boy, what an what an impact and what a one-two punch. The uh, the masterminds that are Ricky Ray and Mark Tressman, what they can come up with together. And we saw the benefits that Anthony Calvillo reaped for all those years in Montreal. And now with another Hall of Fame quarterback and talent in Ricky Ray, Mark Tressman went right to work. 500-plus uh, yards. I mean, Ricky Ray's career high at a time. We're talking about a quarterback, Chessie, that we both basically had either retired or backing up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Boy, were we wrong on that when healthy. Yeah, single career high, single-game passing record 
for Ricky Ray, a guy like you said, we both thought on this on this podcast that he'd be coaching or possibly a backup and be able to you know provide some provide some insight and help a young quarterback groom. Boy, were we wrong! At least thus thus far, he looked great, and I mean, 126 passing efficiency. Uh, he was 32 for 41, and what I saw with this is Ricky picked up. Whatever. And this is why they brought him in. This is why we looked at, you know, as soon as he came in, uh, and, and Mark Tressman was there for a day and said, Ricky's my starter. And we, we looked at each other like, what? Like, mm-hmm. like you said, we were ready to, to move on from Ricky. And, <laughs> and we kind of, at first I thought, okay, that doesn't make sense. Why would you announce Ricky? He's been hurt for a few years. He hasn't been, uh, hasn't had a ton of success in, in when he was out there. And so at first I wonder why, this, why he's making this move. And, and when you watch the game, and as time went on, I, I thought about it. And it starts to make sense. It's that it's going to take somebody else a whole uh, lot longer, someone that doesn't have the experience in this league and experience in football and isn't as astute as, as Ricky Ray is. It's going to take them a lot longer to pick up the offense. And the fact that Ricky can you know, come under center, um, you know, scan a defense and, and know where to go with the ball. I think Mark Tressman wanted that, and I think this Toronto Argonauts team needed that. And boy, did he look comfortable. He was picking up everything Toronto, everything Hamilton threw at him. He knew where to go with the ball right away, and, and it was obvious. And he got the matchups that he wanted, and his receivers went up and made plays. Armani Edwards, Devere Posey, and Fuller, and of course, uh, S.J. Green, which is a great a uh, great story for a guy that had an injury that uh, you know seven for a buck twenty four had an injury that many would have thought would end a end a career for a, a speed guy uh, at his age uh, and and uh, he looks like there's no slowing down in S J Green. It's S J Green. What what a shocking performance, man! Like that. I mean, for a guy who who wasn't even moving around in minicamp and. To talk about what a devastating injury that was last fall and for him to be where he was at, I, I think as a veteran guy, just exceeding everybody's expectation. I loved how Posey, you know what, Chaz, Posey has this big drop early in the game, you know, drops a surefire touchdown. And you know what, Ricky Ray never gave up on him. And the guy goes out and totally redeems himself, you know? And I, I say that with sort of dumb <laughs> and dumber. That was, that your, that was your dumb and dumber? That was my dumb and dumber, exactly. But, but like Posey totally sticks with it and keeps his head in the game and was a huge factor. All three of those guys were home run threats all game long against the Tiger Cats. And, you know, we talk about surprises. But Armani Edwards, Armani, four of them. Armani Edwards yeah. had 78, Fuller. Yeah, he had almost 100 yards. Had. Yeah, so no. Fuller, Armani Edwards. And, and even just to, just to keep piling on the weapons that, that seem, uh, seem to be at the disposal of Ricky and, and Mark Trespin mm-hmm. is, uh, is Worthy. And he, Worthy was the, is the little uh, returner receiver. And he showed... A real burst, and he got a punt return, and he ran it back. I think it was in the second second quarter, and I'm telling you, he has some juice. Like he has the ability to stop and start, uh, and I was really impressed with him. He, he got called back on a holding penalty, but even even what he showed me. So they they have a plethora of receivers and guys that can do different things. You know, quick and shifty guys, and then of course you know the 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 big the big six four guys like. And like Fuller and, and SJ, so they have they have some weapons, and this is we thought that they were, you know the roster was 
decimated uh, from you know even from the defensive side. They looked oh, good. Uh, all three really phases, good. they looked really good. Yeah. Really good. And and think and and think about. Think about what that receiving core did against a, a secondary that was kind of deemed to have the two lockdown guys. And we, I, I know I certainly banged the Ticats drum defensively. You know, you have an aggressive, you know, uh, defensive front with guys like Chick uh, to be and, fair, to be and fair, James, the, To be fair, and, those guys didn't play in the game, to be yeah. fair. So that, that they might have been deemed to have yeah. a, a, good, a good secondary, but neither of those guys played. And also they're, they're down to – so those two – the two halfbacks are out. And you know, early Davis and Kane yeah. out, and also their their boundary corner who was was a backup. He was also out. So they were on their third boundary corner. So you're looking at you know from a secondary of five guys, they were down. They were down to only one of those one or maybe two of those guys would have would would start normally. So they were really really depleted in that situation. That's why I wonder, uh, looking at the game plan, I wonder why so many times they look to be. Um, kind of hung out to dry or in man coverage and I mean blitz. Oh, Johnny Davis got caught a couple times, like just on a just a jump ball, misplaying it. Uh, oh, it was. It, or or Johnny yeah, they, Adams or Johnny Adams, I should Chris, say. Chris yeah, Chris uh, Davis. It's Chris Davis. Chris but Davis yeah, they bad, yeah. they yeah, and Johnny Adams got ju- jumped over. And Johnny Adams is a is a is a good DB too. He's probably he's yeah. the one guy that that would be out there. And, and but I'll tell you this: if if you get one on one with 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 those receivers and and young DBs who, you know, aren't accustomed to playing the game and aren't aren't confident yet, they're they're going to be in for a long day. I like to you, well, you have you know you have John Chicken and you have a you know you have a front Ted seven Leron that and all of it, yeah, that, yeah, Ted Leron, and you have a front seven that of guys who you are, you know are highly thought of. I don't I don't see why you just don't rush four and 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 drop drop some coverage, even rush three maybe and drop some coverage. That shows me or that tells me that. Um, they didn't want to drop into coverage and let Ricky pick their defense apart, and they felt like they had to get some pressure on, on Ricky in order to have success. And that that was a colossal failure because Ricky knew where to go every time, and and when he had he knew where to go, and he had one on one matchups, and they won those one on one matchups oh, all night long. He he you know he had time, he had space, uh, he was protected, and you know ultimately I think that's that's critical for the Argos this year, but. Every phase of the Argos, you you just touched on this a couple minutes ago, but every element of the Argos uh, group, uh, they they just they look great. I think if anything, if anything, they were their own worst enemy at times. I mean, allowing two blocked field goals, one of them got taken back for a touchdown. Um, you know, and just you know, settling for for field goals as opposed to having opportunities to, to punch it in for seven points. And I know Ricky Ray had alluded to it after the game. That's one thing that they can shore up, but for a, a week one debut for a mishmash group that really didn't have much in the way of chemistry or time spent together. I mean, look when Mark Tressman stepped in, uh, look when Ricky Ray finally was kind of ready to go. And then, you know, bringing in Jeff Fuller and bringing in SJ green and, you know, Posey it's, you know Edwards even just in the last few weeks a lot of these guys have been it's almost like a bullpen by committee so to speak from a football standpoint and everybody just kind of mishmash coming together at the last moment and they look dynamic together I mean over 500 yards passing uh an impressive start uh a very impressive start for the Toronto on the, Argonauts on the, and, on the and, other end 
on the other sorry james go ahead yeah still going i'll go no, ahead. just just impressive it's going to take and obviously you know what the fan base isn't there just yet in toronto and it's going to take time but you know what that's a huge step in the right direction in order to get people excited about argos football in toronto based on the fact that you've got mark trestman there you've got a healthy ricky ray and this team might be real fun to watch based on the first week sample size that we've seen of the argos yeah, this year in 2017 yeah. For sure. On, on the other on the other side of that, look look at the tie looking at the tie cats and they have oh. to be scratching their head and and Ken Austin. Oh my gosh, I don't have a, he's probably the coach in the league that I have the least amount of uh, experience with or interaction with. I haven't mm-hmm. been around him at all. But watching his post game presser, I am glad I was not down there. He looked like he was wanting to rip somebody's head off. Um, he was he was hilarious, but uh, but uh, CJ I mean CJ Gable five five rushes for nine yards. He averaged one point eight yards a carry, and you know the, the knock on Ken Austin's offenses had been that he you know doesn't establish a run game, and and you know some of the reason why you know Zach's running around for his life out there is because CJ Gable, and, and I don't blame that on Ken Austin. You're down two scores. Um, early in the game and you know Toronto's marching up and down the field on you and they should have been up Toronto should have been up 21 probably and they were only up you know 10 12 points uh, and maybe Ken Austin at that point felt like hey you know what we need to score and I don't have time to to stick with this run game but you know to in the CFL you can get you know you should average if you average four four yards a, a, a rush you're not doing very well and, and cj gable averaged 1.8 so uh, that was another that was another issue and zach you know was uncomfortable all night he got sacked five times and that's uh terrence tolliver went down there you know one of their best receivers uh and looks like with a pretty serious injury with his knee so uh yeah it's not uh it's not uh, it's not looking good uh, that's not the way you want to start a season for the tabbies and uh you know, hope that uh, hope that Terrence is okay, and uh, and hope they get some of these guys back. Um, they got a bye week, fortunately, this week, so they're able to, you know, rest some of these guys or the guys that were banged up can can hopefully get back in the lineup and and give them an opportunity to get uh, get this season going. They want to maybe they want to start the season bye week July in a situation 10th. like that though, Chess. Like, do you want to buy a week yeah. on, after coming off like that? Do you would you rather have one or would you yeah. rather get back on the field? I'd rather get back on the field because now they have to sit around for two weeks and and with an angry coach and yeah. uh, and angry kids and uh, angry wife and <laughs> nobody's nobody's happy with that performance yeah, in Hamilton. Yeah. So so uh, yeah, get so I want to get I want to get back on the field for sure. But you know, in the in the sense of just dealing with it because they're super banged up. So yeah, you want to get back on the field as soon as possible after a stinker like that. I don't think anybody will be happy in the Ticats organization with how they played, but uh, you know, and with just in the sense of timing, they may, it may be a good thing because they have a chance to get some of these guys back. And I'm sure that uh, some of the guys that were close will now be able to play and uh, it will do some good. Yeah, just just an appalling performance though for the Tabbies who looked absolutely toothless. Just a you know what, just a horrible weekend for cats or for or for felines, if you will, over the course of the weekend in week one. Because as bad as the Thai cats were, you know, the BC Lions, oh I, I you know, you talk about a disappointment. I, I just shook my head all game long with that team. Uh, for you know, who came a team that came up with the blueprint, the of how to shoot yourself in the foot time 
and time again. They basically did a football no, version no, of Plaxico. No, they were no, Plaxico no, Burris no, on the field, buddy. No, I, was, I was just about <laughs> they to were say, Plaxico. Plaxico Burris got the blueprint. <laughs> he did it at a club, at least, though. <laughs> These guys did it on a field. I mean, Chris Rainey with a beautiful 90-yard run, and, <laughs> and, and that gets called back. Uh, you know, so many big play threats, and just time and time again, you know, the or I you know, it almost looked like they had too many men on the field. Then I realized they were just orange flags matching the the Lions jerseys. Uh, just penalty after penalty, fumbles, turnovers, you know, just too many mistakes for a team. And and listen, you give Mike Riley and the Eskimos that many opportunities, they're going to take advantage. And they ultimately did. Uh, that's a game, though, that BC should have won. Uh, and they should have won handily, I thought, at various points. Especially, you know, look at look at Edmonton's defensive uh, core now, where you lose Corey Greenwood in right at the start of camp, and then you lose J.C. Sherrod early in that game, which is a huge piece of their defense. And the Lions continue to just. Uh, just drop the ball in these opportunities for a team that's just too talented to do that. Uh, Wally Buono said it best, I think, uh, as he was telling, and he wasn't messing around. Like you know, the mistakes that he saw in preseason carried over into Week One. He basically hinted that if his if things aren't going to change, he's going to cut guys. But he had the line the other day after <laughs> after the game. He said, "You you know, a reminder: you can't text and drive at the same time." Like. <laughs> He was calling guys out, and and rightly so, because the Lions, to me, were so incredibly disappointing uh, at home and just the way they let that get away uh, from them in that that week one home opener against uh, a fierce rival this year in the Edmonton Eskimos. Full credit to Mike Riley for getting it done, and you know what? We wondered about who was going to pick up the slack for Darrell Walker. Uh, I think we found it in the form of Brandon Zilstra, who we talked about, Chesie, last week a bit, um, wondering whether he could uh, step up and, and be that number two receiver. And another guy that impressed both you and I, the Duke. Yeah, Duke was Duke Williams was impressive. He is, he's a physical specimen. That's, oh, no that's, kidding. Uh, he's a big, thick, he's a big, thick kid. And, and, and Mike Riley, every time Riley sees Duke Williams, hey, I'm bulletin all points, bulletin to defensive backs out there. If Duke Williams is even, he's leaving. And a couple times, Riley looked up, saw Duke Williams even a step behind the DB or, or just, just kidding up, coming up on the B, DB closing, and he put it up because he knows either Duke Williams is going to get away from the DB or Duke's so big that he's now going to body you. And and, and we saw, I saw it several times in the game where Duke Williams just – just used his big body, subtle push off, and and went over top and 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 made big completions. So you know you got Bowman and Zilstra and and Duke Williams now. I think this is uh, Mike Riley is uh, has Hazleton, some weapons Hazleton to work with. Good too, but and Fidel Hazelton, yeah, yeah. He's, he spun the ball a few times. Yeah, no doubt. No, that's uh, I'll tell you, Duke Williams, an interesting story and and, and kind of has a, a bit of a similar path to Devaris Daniel, uh, where, you know, here's t- here's another guy who was a stud receiver with he, with Auburn in the NCAA, but gets thrown off the team for punching out a teammate there. Um, and you know, it's, you look at the NFL sometimes if you, if you have some sort of shady background, 
they they tend to those guys their stock tends to fall they get ignored they get passed over and the same thing as Devaris who kind of finds his second chance with the CFL and and was the rookie of the year last year up here uh Duke Williams uh might be an early contender in that sort of same you know singing that redemption song uh this particular season where the CFL offering a guy a second uh, second chance of pro football here and Duke Williams making the most of every opportunity. He looked good in preseason, Chez. Uh, and boy, oh boy, that's that would be a tough. Like I can't even imagine somebody like you. And and you're a fair sized guy yourself. Like, but trying to match up with that a guy like that for four quarters, that would be a matchup nightmare. I feel like for a lot of different secondaries and DBs, wouldn't it? Yeah, you have to play it differently. I was this first week of of football. I was I was not impressed with how. Uh, how some guys, uh, some of the DBs played this. You, you know, as a smaller DB, you really guys need to. You need to play through big fellas like that. You don't play. You don't have your back turn and allow them to jump ball uh, over you and, and and them adjust to the ball. You play behind them. You're a quicker DB. You play behind those guys, right on their hip. And then when the ball's in the air, you go through them and make the play. You, uh, you know, you punch through their arms. You you stay on their back hip. I like to stay against a big guy like that. I like to stay on his back hip as long as I can. And then when the ball's in the air, I know I'm quicker than him. I'll now cut in front of him and make a play on the ball or even let him jump in the air, wait for him to jump. And then as soon as he jumps, I'm going to be vicious with coming through his arms and my arms to break the ball up. But if you have your back turned and you're running with your back turned to the quarterback and the receiver's looking back and has the ability to see the ball being thrown and jump over you and you don't know where the ball is, I just think you're in a bad spot as a DB. And I, whenever I was in that position, I, I knew I was in a bad spot. I don't, I don't know what, uh, you know, what, you know, what necessarily technique they're being taught and what, you know, what covers are in all the time. I know there's some good coaches in this league, so they know what they're doing, but there was a lot of guys getting dunked on. So whatever it is, it might need to change. Yeah, well, whatever the case may be, I mean, Duke did it right in that week one. So an impressive start for him and an impressive start for Edmonton. They look to try to go 2-0 uh, this weekend against the Montreal Alouettes. Um, uh, and by the way, just uh, before, I wanted to touch on, uh, get a quick thought on what you thought of the uh, Montreal game. You did that broadcast on TSN 690. But, uh, you know, we did live up to our expectations and followed up on our promise to rip on the Lions this week compared to, uh, you know, praising them all of last week. So at least we did live up to that promise there. Um, hey, it was the uh, the game between the Riders and the Owls. It was Darian Durant against Saskatchewan for the first time. Uh, I think the game more people will be interested in was when Darian actually goes home to Regina uh, in October but uh, it was the most watched uh, CFL opener, uh, I think, since 2013 in uh, four years, uh, just under 900,000 people watching uh, that game. Uh, great way to kick off the 2017 campaign. Uh, probably not the cleanest game played from my observation, but uh, what, was your, uh, what was your assessment of uh, the debut of Darian Durant in, uh, in blue and red and, and the new look riders uh, who maybe looked a little more dangerous than people wanted to give him credit for. You no, know, the, the riders offensively, I don't think either team looked great. You looked at the numbers, you know, neither team threw over, over 300 yards. And I think Darian had two touchdowns and Kevin had one. It wasn't the off offensive uh, showcase that we that we thought. We thought these defenses would start off a little bit behind the offenses, and I think, you know, to our surprise, it was it was opposite in the in the first week. But you know what you get from Darian is kind of what was expected, and that was 
a guy who will be in command, would take care of the football, uh, get the ball to um, to the open receivers, and it looked like that's what that's what he was doing. And uh, I look for him to get the ball more to Ernest Jackson next week, and 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 BJ Cunningham. He, those guys weren't uh, weren't super involved. He kind of spread the ball out to a number of receivers, and uh, but they look good. The offensive line looked looked solid, and that's obviously you know something that the Owls wanted to improve on in the offseason. So that's a good start for them. And the defense, Jonathan Mincy, we'd be remiss to not mention Jonathan Mincy, who. You know, two days before the game, found out that he was going to be playing the boundary corner. He's been a field corner the whole uh, all last year, and then the whole preseason. Ramon Taylor, who uh, who I had is uh, one of my one of my sophomore uh, stars coming in this season at a great camp, and he's uh, he's ill with some sort of uh, medical condition he's working on right now. And and he they found out you know forty eight hours before the game that that Mincy would be moving over, and the whole secondary had to shuffle around. Uh, three guys in the secondary moved spots forty eight hours before the game. And Jonathan Mincy absolutely locked up uh, Deron Carter man to man. A lot. He had three or four breakups. He just uh, he played a heck of a game against uh, against an elite receiver, and I think uh, you know in a position he's not comfortable in. So that was uh, that was pretty impressive uh, all around. And and on from the rider side, I just think uh, you know you look at Darian, you looked at uh, at Kevin and. And he did. He wasn't able to get the ball into his playmaker's hands, and whether that's pressure from the Owls' defensive line or or just good coverage, whatever it may be. But uh, Naaman Roosevelt and Deron Carter were non-factors, and I don't expect that to be a constant throughout this season. Yeah, well, and, and we'll see how much uh, how how different that looks when Chad Owens is healthy and when Rob Bag is healthy, and you've got two more experienced receivers out on the field that have to keep that secondary and, and keep those defenses honest. Um, but a uh, you know a little more news out of Montreal. Drew Willie, you called it by the way last week. Drew Willie lands in Montreal. Quick thought on that. Uh, I, I guess based on what you were saying last week, this addresses uh, some veteran depth that was uh, that the Owls sorely lacked without Darian Durant or behind Darian Durant. Well, yeah, you looked at if you look at the the landscape of the league and who needs what. I, I think the one thing when you look at this Alouette's team, if Darian goes down, you don't have you don't have a quarterback that has a whole lot of experience. Vernon Adams has a couple starts under his belt, but it's nice to have a guy. A veteran guy in your, uh, you know, as a backup to either help with the game planning, to, you know, be an extra set of eyes on the field, and then also if some, some ever happens to Darian Durant, you know, Drew Willie hasn't had a bunch of success in the last two years, but I'll tell you what, he, if Drew and I mentioned this last week in the show, if Drew happens to find find his mojo and and get you know get what made him Drew Willie back, he can he can be a good quarterback, and I wouldn't completely count him out. So that was that's a good signing. It just makes sense. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, good for Drew to get another opportunity. Hope he makes Definitely. the most of it. Yeah, here's hoping that's for sure. Uh, we'll get into our week two CFL pickums here momentarily. But hey, CFL fans, have you made your hashtag beautiful hearts selfie yet? Well, you should, and you can win some great CFL prizes doing it. CP and the CFL are challenging all football fans to generate greater awareness about the importance of heart health by telling us what simple steps you take to have a beautiful heart. Your participation in this contest will not only raise awareness about the many simple steps Canadians can take to reduce or manage heart disease, but also gives you a chance to win some great CFL merch and an exclusive Grey Cup experience. So head to cfl.ca slash contest and make your hashtag beautiful heart selfie 
today. All right, week two CFL Pickums. It's Canada Day weekend, and uh, Canada 150 will be celebrated this week. And, and all sorts of, and Chazzy, I, I love that the league's got all sorts of little um, little things to kind of tip of the cap to this great country. Uh, each game will also feature a specially made uh, custom Wilson game ball with a CFL Canada 150 logo and red laces instead of the traditional white laces to be used for pregame warmups and during the opening kickoff as well as kickoff for the second half of each game. Uh, other elements that will be incorporated, helmet decals, uh, specially designed Canada 150 helmet decals will be worn by uh, on all helmets all year long. Uh, you also have some special sideline apparel. They have their uh, custom legendary Canadian t-shirts available to all teams that feature a notable Canadian player selected by each individual team to be worn on the sidelines for uh, non-playing personnel as well as during interviews and or on the day before walkthroughs. So um, the list of some of these players... Uh, Chessie, I thought your name would have factored in on this one, but uh, I didn't find your name here. But Montreal has uh, Peter Dallariva. Uh, Ottawa <laughs> has Bill Hadanaka. Hamilton, Rocky DiPietro. Pinball for the Argos. You've got Doug Brown and Chris Walby for the Bombers. Sugarfoot Anderson for the Stampeders. Uh, the legendary and iconic late Normie Kwong and Don Getty for Edmonton. Uh, hey, George Reed, the legend in Saskatchewan. And number five, and I just saw him golfing a couple weeks ago, and he looks great, although I still miss his mustache, uh, Lou Pasaglia for the BC Lions. Uh, Lou! Those are, yeah, I, I, you know, I, these shirts look great. These shirts look awesome. Uh, and the officials for all four Canada Day weekend contests, they'll be wearing special jerseys bearing red stripes and the Canada 150 logo. So uh, the CFL certainly celebrating uh, Canada's 150th this weekend in style. So we start off with Thursday and no, the Ottawa Red Blacks won't be playing a game on Canada Day, which I suggested loudly last year, Davis. They're playing in Calgary this week against the Stamps on Thursday it's amazing what these two teams do head-to-head. -head. Uh, I wonder if Calgary has the decided advantage at home because they certainly had their way with Ottawa last year uh, in Calgary. But when you look at the matchups, the last two meetings in Ottawa and neutral site, uh, two ties and an overtime thriller. Um, I guess in, in this case, I, I tend to, it just shows you just how evenly matched these two teams are. I'm going to lean towards the home team uh, in this one, just based on how tight it was, I, Ottawa totally let that one get away last week. But give me the stamps in this one in week two at home. Yeah, I like the I like the stamps as, as well at home. They are banged up though. Devaris Daniels uh, is is out with his with a shoulder injury. Marquay McDaniel also uh, was nicked up. He looks like he'll play, but he was nicked up. And also, we didn't mention that Roy Finch also has been suspended under the league's uh, substance abuse policy um, uh, for uh, some sort of banned substance for t the next two games. So they're definitely bang they're banged up. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the thing about uh, the Stampeders, though. They have depth and they're well coached. So the guy, I expect the guys who are coming in 
to do do a great job. But I got I'm with you. I got the stamps. Yeah, Tavares uh, Daniel big loss uh, on offense for them as well. Uh, at least for the next uh, probably six weeks or so is is what it sounds like. But uh, then we go to Friday. It's a doubleheader for Friday night football, and it starts in Toronto where the Argos look to go 2-0 against, uh, I think should be a, a feisty Lions team looking to atone for a very disappointing uh, setback uh, last Saturday in their home opener between BC and Toronto. Which way are you leaning on this one here, Chessie? You know what? When I look at this, look at this, I see two teams that, that I, I, I'm really confused, to be honest, and and that's because <laughs> I I didn't I didn't have uh, I didn't think that the Argos were going to look as good as they did, and I, I need I need a bigger sample size before I can jump on the the Argos ship. I, I just, but the way I look at it, I mean, their front four was was they got after it, and BC's offensive line struggled, and I I thought that BC would have a fairly you know solid offensive line, and and they didn't. They struggled quite a bit, and I think that's one of the reasons why Jonathan didn't have a big game because he didn't have time. He looked like he was – let's, let's be honest, to, to Edmonton's front four is extremely good, but I, I don't think the Argos are far, much farther behind uh, in their front four with uh, with who they're bringing to the table. So They gave it's, up it's five be a, sacks, Chez. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a – it's going to be a good matchup, but I'll uh, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Argos at, at home right now until BC shores up some of those problems in the secondary, which the I said that they may have the the deepest best secondary in the league in the preseason. I after that week one performance, I'll take that back. Anthony Thompson definitely struggled uh, his first time playing out of the field corner. He looked to struggle a bit. Uh, and they just looked like they had some communication issues back there, and they just didn't look like a Mark Washington coach bunch. He's a uh, uh, really good defensive coordinator and a sharp secondary guy, and I, I'm sure they'll they'll patch things up. But they didn't look good, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Argos uh, at home, two and zero. Oh. I'm gonna go with BC, and I think the Lions figure things out uh, and atone for uh, some of those mistakes last week. Even though Ricky Ray has proven me, uh, I I, I, I want to believe Ricky Ray, and and based on what I saw, it's hard to see them all of a sudden, you know, coming up short this week. But I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Lions. Uh, w- one of the big concerns, and you touched on it, uh, protecting Jonathan Jennings uh, for the Lions to give up five sacks in that uh, in that loss at home, uh, unacceptable. And it makes you and it makes you wonder. You sit there and say, you think to yourself, Wally, what were you thinking when you let uh, an All Star tackle go in Javon Olafoye, and all of a sudden you've exposed all these issues now. Maybe this line's better than what we realize, and maybe they just had an off night, whatever the case may be, that Edmonton front four had a good game. But still, you can't give up five sacks a game, uh, especially like that, and especially with the home crowd behind you. Uh, you know what? I think I think the Lions will be substantially better in this game on the road, and I think uh, they're too good to fall 0-2 to start the season. So give me the Leos to get this done. The second leg of the doubleheader, uh, Edmonton at home against Darian Durant and the Montreal Alouettes. Not the prettiest of games, but a win is still a win for the Alouettes as they look to move to 2-0. This one on the road against Mike Riley, who looked great 
uh, with that road victory uh, and finding a whole bunch of new weapons and lethal weapons at that with Duke Williams. Uh, their defense, obviously, um, some huge holes now to fill. J.C. share at the latest casualty. Uh, but you know what? I, I think I think Edmonton finds a way to win this one as Montreal still tries to find their way together as a team. Uh, give me give me the home team here. I like Edmonton to get it done here on Friday, Chez. Darian was brought in to win to win games like this. Uh, it's in a hostile environment. Uh, you know, a team that's Edmonton's banged up. So we'll see what what Darian can bring to the bring to the table here. Uh, Saskatchewan did not look good uh, last week, so it's, it was hard for me to really get a. Uh, a real feel for this Montreal team uh, in the long term. And I think, you know what, and I, I want to be, you know, transparent with this. I This week here is it was a week to to get a feel for the teams. And uh, I'm, I'm no way um, di- dismissing the Riders for this season because of how bad they look. And I don't think they look good at all. The Riders, uh, you know, I would go as far as saying they look poor. And I'm not I'm not going to dismiss them. And I'm also not after one week performance, not going to crown the Alouettes as, as or the Argos. And so I just think that this is this is one um, this is one sample in a in a in a whole in of a whole season. And then this is the first week. But, uh, yeah, that, I like I like. I like Edmonton at home in, in this game just because they're at home and they are banged up. I would normally ride with them for certain in a situation like this. Mike Riley at home is tough to go against, but they're banged up. But I, I like them to – it's going to be a close game, but I like them to uh, to pull through. But I'm interested, very interested to see this one and see really what this Montreal team is made of. Yeah, no question about it. That brings us to Canada Day on Saturday, and I feel like there are a few things less uh, – there are a few things more Canadian – then a game at Mosaic, Riders, Bombers. I mean, that's a heck of a Canada Day party as uh, the Riders will open new Mosaic and what a stadium. Uh, just to, to see it a couple of months ago uh, when we were in Regina for CFL Week, Chez, uh, it, it is, I think it's easy to say that I think it probably the best field in the Canadian Football League. And there's some good ones out there right now. Um, But this new mosaic looks spectacular. Uh, And you know what? These fans are going to have an opportunity to get loud and proud and all their green and all those watermelons. Uh, It could be a special day. And you know what? I think think the Riders get the job done here and get a a W uh, as the Bombers play their first game of 2017. Yeah, I like I like the Bombers to go in there and pull this one out. They're rested, which which I is a huge huge advantage. They've had a, an opportunity to watch, um, you know, to game plan the Riders now and kind of see what Kevin Glenn's working with. And and I think the unknown, the fact of the unknown for the for the Bombers and the fact that they're they're healthy. I, I'm going to take the Bombers to go in there and sneak one in Mosaic. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Mm interesting you know with the bombers on that one and andrew harris had uh, limped off but he was back on the practice field this week so looks like he should be good to go for canada day and uh, as mentioned happy canada day to everybody this weekend and happy fourth of july to everybody listening south of the border i know we have a huge audience for the waggle uh that listen and if you're not and if you haven't subscribed just yet hey lots of time still it's you can find us on itunes it's free just click on subscribe and do us a favor as well leave us a five-star review or leave us any review whatsoever we appreciate the feedback and so too does everybody here at the canadian football league as well have a safe and happy canada day 
Happy birthday, Canada. You still look gorgeous at 150 years old. Chezzy has a special conversation with Marcus Ball from the Toronto Argonauts, and that's coming up in moments. Chezzy, want to wish a happy birthday to the country? Yes, I just gave a big kiss on this end to the greatest country in the world. Happy 150th to my home and yours. Uh, Happy Canada Day to all. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. He's Davis. I'm James. Talk to you next week. The welcome back moment of the week, week one of CFL, the welcome back moment, Marcus Ball, welcome back to the CFL, seven tackles, three pass breakups, and a dominating win over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Welcome to the waggle, Marcus, and welcome back to the CFL. Uh, Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me back, man. Glad to be back. How did that feel? First first game at BMO and uh, to have a dominating defensive performance like that from your crew. Um, I mean, it felt good to get the the win. Uh the first win, it was a step in the right direction. Um but to be honest with you, there's a, a few is a few disappointing plays out there we left out there and um you know, we had to learn from, so uh we got back into the, you know, in the film room and you know, got back to learning, you know, figure out what we needed to do to fix those problems relax take a day to enjoy the win first huh right right back to business huh nah. <laughs> uh uh you, you you get the evening you know of the game you know post game evening and then you know after that you know it's on to the next challenge that we have a short week we got a powerful you know uh lion lion team coming to here off of uh off of a tough loss so, so they're going to be hungry you know itching to get their first point of their season yeah, we'll we'll get into that in a bit. I've seen a lot of guys uh, over my life in the game of football, and certain guys like to tackle, and certain guys uh, arrive at the football with ill intentions. Uh, I would describe you as that. Uh, tell me about your childhood life in football. Were you always a hitter, or you wanted to be the pretty boy quarterback? To be honest with you, I'm a little bit of both minus one. Uh, I think I'm a little bit of... The hitter, uh, I always liked it to hit. I always liked it to be the dominant force, you know, to be the, you know, the hammer and not the nail. And I was raised that way, you know, uh, by my mom and my, my older brothers and my father. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as wanting to be the quarterback, I always wanted to play quarterback. It's just one thing I never got to do. So that's one dream I, I, I'm always uh, out here dreaming for. But I always wanted to play quarterback, man. But. Until then, I just try to harass every quarterback I see, <laughs> and doing a mighty, a mighty good job of it. To tell the listeners who don't know about uh, uh, your family in football, your two brothers who also play football. Right. Uh, well, my oldest brother Reggie, he was uh, he was uh, the starter of everything. He actually was the quarterback of the family and quarterback of the team. Uh, um, went to Georgia Tech and uh, won won a bunch of games there and uh, won a couple of awards there and. Uh, Went on to play a few years in the NFL as a quarterback. And my second to oldest brother, Ray Sean, he was a defensive back. Um, went on to play a few years in, in uh, University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and play a few years in the league as well. So just blessed to be learn, learn from those uh, guys as, as brothers, you know. Oh, definitely a life. Probably many, many of tackle football games in, uh, in the neighborhood of 
growing up. Now, you grew up, Marcus, uh, you're, you're born in Virginia, but uh, grew up in Georgia. A lot of right, great, right. a lot of great defensive backs uh, born and, and raised as well in the in Virginia. Uh, who is your favorite favorite defensive player as a kid growing up from anywhere? Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor. Okay, um, that's Sean Taylor. Yeah, he was born and raised in Miami, so uh, he has nothing to do with Virginia, but. <laughs> Yeah, he's he he's probably my all time favorite player. And before before I saw him, I I, I would have to go with Dion. That's a, those are uh, some pretty good choices. But in the from the defensive uh, backfield, uh, the ultimate cover man, uh, playmaker Dion, and then uh, also a playmaker, a ball hawk, and who brings the wood like yourself in in Sean Taylor. Um, so I'm gonna do this for you, Marcus. I'm gonna give you this since you were born in VA. I'm gonna ask you to give me three guys. Three Pro Bowl defensive backs, born or raised in Virginia. You can go with Cam Chancellor. That's one. D'Angelo Hall. Yep. Uh, Brandon Flowers. No, 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 Brandon. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. Take that back. Take that back. Oh man, you got me. Allen Iverson. I'm gonna give you. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a pretty good football player himself. I'm gonna give you a hint. You'll you'll get this one. I give you two hints. First one, an Ohio State cornerback who got drafted the first round by the Seattle Seahawks back in the day. Top five. Top, cor- five cor- top five pick. Cornerback. Ohio State. Uh, Cam, Cam, Cam Chancellor. I, I said Cam Chancellor, didn't I? Cornerback. Ohio State University got drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. Quarterback. Sean Springs. Sean Springs. Sean Springs. Sean Springs. 24. That's right. Sean Spring, 24. I'll give you two. I'll there give you, you two other. I'll give you two other great yeah. ones. Born in Virginia, Rondé Barber and Dre Bly. Dre Bly. Dre Bly. My bad, man. My bad. You caught me off guard with that one. You grew up in Georgia. I just, I just, that was your home. Yeah, that was yeah, your home I, state. I grew up, yeah. I grew up in Atlanta. I was, I was in Atlanta about about two years old. So I, I'm, you know, <laughs> you know, I love the state of Virginia. You know, I was born there, but you know, I'm an Atlanta guy. So Marcus, you've been obviously uh, you've been you've been you're a sports fan, I assume, uh, basketball as well. Yeah, I watch a little basketball here and there. Okay, so the the story this off season has been uh, a guard from the UCLA Bruins with the, who dons the same last name as yourself, and that's uh, that's Lonzo Ball. If if the Ball family decided because you carry their name or they carry your name or you have the same name. They wanted to send you some big baller brand shoes. Would you rock them? And well, first have, of all, they're carrying my name. They're, they're, they're carrying my name. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I mean, I mean, I, I, I respect what them guys are doing on their side. You know what I mean? I would, I would, uh, I mean, I would support their cause. You know, they they play ball, man. It's it's all good with me. They want to send me some shoes. Yeah, absolutely. I wear them. I I, I support. All right, all right. I think well, I think you're in you're in the minor, minority of that, but uh, I, I appreciate you give, giving them some love. So this first game, uh, you know, this watching, I was there at BMO watching this game. Was there anything that surprised you from a you know from a defensive standpoint? I mean, Cleon Lang and Ken Bishop, Sean Lemon, uh, Victor Butler. These guys, you know, I know Lemon and I know Lang. I didn't know much about Bishop or Butler. Was anything those guys did uh, in camp that let you know that 
they would have this much effect uh, on the season? Um, to be honest with you, when I showed up on the scene uh, right right at right at the start of camp, uh, these guys there uh, they were out there and they were already establishing, you know, making some plays and, and doing good things as well as other guys in camp. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's 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 getting out there and going through and going and going through that you know that war, you know, with your guys. You know, for those four quarters and, and seeing what seeing what guys are able, capable of doing and who stands out and who who does this and who do, who, who doesn't. And uh, those guys all have uh, done a phenomenal job starting their season, our season off uh, with that game they put up uh, last week. Uh, I think they oh yeah like four or five sacks between between those guys. I mean that's I mean that's to be honest with you in, in yeah five sacks in any any defensive room. You know, across the league is a it's a it's a pretty good start. So, uh, well, man, it's exciting, but at the same time, like I said, we have a lot of we have a lot of ways to go. One of the biggest joys, and and tell me if you agree with this, Marcus, is as a as an athlete, as a player, I loved coming into the film room the day after a, a great win, and and watching you know because that's the work you do, and and the guys the guys around the room appreciate the work they see on film. Uh, how was that today or yesterday when you guys sat sat down and watched the film with his game uh, with Coach Chamberlain? Um, uh, it was pretty good, man. We like like we saw some we saw some things that we did good. We had a, we accomplished a few goals, you know what I mean. Uh, but to be honest with you, uh, we had we had a few more disappointing plays out there than we than we would like. Uh, we left a few plays out there. We had a few penalties uh, that kept us on the field. They kept the drive going for that uh, for Hamilton's offense and. Uh, you know, but at the same time, um, you know, it was pretty. It was some pretty good plays out there. When I watch you play, Marcus, I see you as as a communicator, as a guy who you know you're, you're constantly pre-snap, you're constantly moving around. I saw several times where you're pointing, like, "Hey, roll out!" You knew that they were going to roll out. You're pointing, roll, roll. You're you're pushing the defense. Uh, your your skill set. Would would you say that you're a, a linebacker at heart or a safety at heart? What what do you bring to the table? Because I know you're a hybrid uh, in the Canadian football playing will linebacker. Right. Uh, I don't um I don't like to you know to, to I can I don't think I can pinpoint anything or, or whatever it is on any position. Uh, I'm just uh you know honored and blessed to be out there you know playing uh, the game. Uh, I think if I if coach were to ask me to play center or if you you know, asking to play wide receiver, anything, anything, just being out there on the field is, is, you know, that's, that's the joy in it, you know, for me and, um, you know, communicating with whoever, whoever is out there, you know, that's the way of getting better. So uh, everybody's talking out there. It's not just me. You know what I mean? Where would coach Marcus Ball, uh, where would he put player Marcus Ball if he could put him anywhere on the CFL field on defense, where would Coach Marcus Ball put player Marcus Ball? Um, that's a tough one there, man. I, 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 hey, Marcus, on the wagon, we're going to ask tough ones on the wagon, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one there. Um, with Coach Marcus Ball, I, I think I would put Marcus Ball at either – Middle linebacker or free safety. <laughs> I, I I wish I wish that uh, I wish we were sitting face to face right now because in big in big red letters I have a F and a S because I know darn well your answer was going to be free safety. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I say middle linebacker and free safety. Only because if it was the middle linebacker, I think I think Marcus Ball would get a little bored back there. He want to get a little antsy and <laughs> you know touch on a few players there and that. Bring some arrive arrive with some of those bad intentions we talked about. Right. I like it. Uh, let's jump in a little bit into this week. Uh, like you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, BC coming off a tough loss. Uh, I'm sure you've had a chance to look at a little bit of film. What are your early uh, thoughts about this offense and and how you guys match up? Uh, it's gonna be a tough one, man. Uh, it's, a, it's a new, it's, you know, in the CFL, every week is a test, and this one is a big one. We got here. Uh, they're very athletic. They're, they they like got a lot of speed. They got a lot of speed on that offense, and um, you know they're dynamic. I mean, you know, you look at ten. I mean, ten can can ten can make any play out of you know out of nothing, and uh. You know, any any time you can hand the ball off at twenty four and get him rolling. I mean, when he, once he gets a full steam, he's he's a load himself. And uh, you know, eighty four eighty four speaks for itself. You know, he's been doing his thing for a while in this league. And you know, they got a spark when they throw two. You know, when they when they throw the rainy out there, I mean, anything is possible, right? <laughs> All that speed he got. So I mean. I mean, it's it's gonna we got we got a test on our hand, but you know we're gonna do what we got to do our due diligence and uh, get in the film room and get the practice and figure out some things and try to come up with a plan. I'm not I'm not Bill Belichick, I'm not Rex Ryan, and I'm not Corey Chamberlain, but I do know that a majority of matchups with a running back coming out of the backfield will be locked up with a will linebacker, which would be number six Marcus Ball against Chris Rainey and some of these. Uh, in some of these formations, uh, what do you do to, to take away a guy who most DBs can't cover? How do you handle a matchup like that when you do get isolated out of the backfield? Um, if and when it happens, man, I just got to, you know, stick to my technique and fundamentals. I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's, just, it's a tough task for anybody to get out there against some of these backs in this league with all that field. Um, I mean, I just do the best I can, honestly, when I get out there and, like I said, stick to my techniques and fundamentals, and what and, you know what I've learned throughout my throughout the season or throughout uh, throughout the week, and uh, just take it to the field. You know what I, I would do, Marcus, as a leader on that defense. I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. What you could do is, I know you have the authorities to make checks. If I were you, I'd just check out of whatever call that is and send yourself off the edge and make Jermaine Gabriel cover him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, that's why you run the interview, and that's why you're not coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's great, Marcus. Uh, thanks, buddy, for for hopping on with us and. Uh, and hey, tell tell the tell the folks uh, what what they're gonna see this weekend at BMO watching watching this new 2017 Argo football team. Seven o'clock on Sunday night, Saturday night, Friday night, man. Friday night. We're just hoping for a sellout, man. Friday night, hoping for a sellout, man. Uh, pushing pushing to get that 13th man 13th man involved, and uh, man, it's gonna be a good showdown, man. It's gonna be a great game. Breakup champion and former Argos defensive player of the year. National Football League for a couple seasons, and uh, we're happy to have him back. And uh, Argo fans, go down and watch this guy because there's there's a handful of guys in this league that uh, I'll pay money to watch, and Marcus Ball is certainly one of them. Uh, Marcus, thanks for joining us today on the Waggle. All right, thanks a lot for having me, man. Let's do it again sometime soon.